What is up and welcome back to the Ministry Refuel podcast. My name is Kat Robbins and man, I'm glad that you are here with me today. I am both excited and kind of intrigued as to how today's talk is going to go. If you have found yourself on Christian TikTok at all, and you're probably a good Christian and not on TikTok. Um, I stay on TikTok because I just turned 31 and I want to stay somewhat relevant and somewhat connected to what Gen Z is thinking nowadays because frankly, if you're Gen Z and you're listening, I love you with my whole heart, but I don't understand you fully. And I feel like if I watch a TikTok here and there, I might understand you a little bit more um, fully in that way. So consider it a um, a form of study. <laughs> but uh, on a lot of Christian TikToks is this big word that you hear often utilized incorrectly of deconstruction. Deconstruction. And perhaps I misspoke when I said incorrectly. Uh, more like incompletely. And we will talk about that as we continue this conversation. But deconstruction. What the heck does deconstruction mean? I'm so glad you asked. Um, I looked up the actual definition of it and it's not very exciting if I'm being honest with you. So I found a simplified version of the definition. If you want to read the real one, I encourage you to do so. Google is a great resource. If you've never heard of it, I encourage you just go check it out. Google, it's Google with two O's. Um, but this, this simplified definition says breaking down or analyzing something, especially the words in a work of fiction or nonfiction, to discover its true significance. Ooh, to discover its true significance. Now, I've talked to a lot of Christian parents who have gone back and forth with, are we going to teach our kids about Santa Claus? Are we going to teach them about the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy? You know, all the things that our parents casually lied to us about as kids and like we're totally okay with, but lying about normal things is not okay. Interesting. Um, And so, and really bottom line, that is kind of where the, the, um, debacle comes into play do we tell our children about these fictional things just so that they grow up and realize mom and dad were lying to us all along just for the sake of a magical moment i remember vividly remember finding out about all of these things not being true or not being real and feeling so silly for believing them and it's so funny because even as a kid maybe you were this way too I was extremely skeptical already of man trust issues from as a child that's crazy um but skeptical already of the fact that I don't really think Santa Claus is real and it was a very subtle thing for me to like officially learn I think I just officially learned like last week but I remember feeling silly like why did I believe that you know and it and it captivated some of my childhood years of believing something that wasn't actually true and kind of coming out of it and just being like that was really weird that I believed that thank goodness now I realize that my Christmas gifts under the Christmas tree came from parents came from family who went out and bought me gifts it wasn't some big fat man who came down a chimney and ate cookies and broke into my home you know like it really is strange what we believed as children uh but but we can't be too shocked by that and there are things we believe spiritually 
that like let's just be honest we believe that there was a man who was swallowed by a fish and in his belly for three days and then vomited back up on the shore to fulfill the full mission of god like that's that's in our bible and that is wild enough but then there are certain denominations and beliefs that take certain scriptures and run with an interpretation and build off of an interpretation um, that might sound even more wild. Um, I've referenced in a previous podcast that I've listened to the or I've watched the uh, the Hillsong documentary, um, the one featuring primarily focuses on Carl Lentz. I think the first two episodes. I haven't seen the final two episodes, but uh, I actually just watched the Duggar documentary entitled Shiny Happy People. Um, if you ever watched the Duggars, it I'm I'm sure would be more interesting to you than uh, somebody like me. I had never watched the show, but I was absolutely dumbfounded by the things that I saw um, displayed on this documentary. Um, and as shocked as I was, there was also a side of me that was like, I'm actually not that shocked. And so if you're not familiar with who the Duggars are, they're a family that has, I, I think, 19 or 20 children, um, which is insane. And, um, you know, in the early 2000s, they were just known as this really conservative Christian family, strong Christian family with strong beliefs and really passionate about things like modesty and waiting until marriage and things of that nature. Things that are all biblical, um, things that are all things that I believe in and, and practice. Um, but as you can imagine, um, when they kind of took their beliefs and and took a magnifying glass to the beliefs, it was very interesting to find out that essentially uh, a lot of what they were believing was kind of similar to that of a cult. Um, again, I, I encourage you to, to watch the documentary because I, th I think it's interesting as a believer to just see how people can be so impacted by our words as leaders. And the reason I say that is because in the documentary, there is one man particularly who is kind of the spearhead of this organization that they were a part of. They were passionate, once again, about modesty and waiting until marriage. Um, they were passionate about you know, wives, you are, you should always be available to your husbands. You should have as many children as you can possibly have until you can't anymore. Um, not using anything to stop uh, more children from coming into the world. Um, very much, you know, old school. The man should go to work. The man should provide and he should come home to a hot cooked meal in uh, a clean house and 18 children running around apparently. And again, on the surface, this may seem harmless, but the things that were being taught behind the scenes um, were so wrong and so such a misinterpretation of the text of the scripture and again one person was spearheading and teaching one thing and living very differently and his actions caused a lot of hurt in addition to the way that he would train people under his ministry and under his life he would train people to live the way that he did and practice the things that he practiced and again families were harmed 
innocent children were harmed because of this man's choices, because of the beliefs, because of the theology, because of the misinterpretation of the text that was being taught from the top down. This is dangerous. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is dangerous to be in a place where you have been given the microphone, so to speak, in people's lives, and you are not well studied on the the text, you are not well studied on execution, you are not well studied on how to love people properly, you are not well studied on how to keep your heart in check while being a leader, man, we are looking at a dangerous, dangerous situation that's happening here and so today I want to take just a couple of minutes um, I could talk a lot more on this and probably will to be honest with you um, about deconstruction as we talked about before just breaking things down so that the original significance comes back into play Um, it doesn't get muddied with our opinions but it is full of life because that's what the scripture is The scripture, which is where, again, where our theology should come from, again, theology being the study of God, the study of God. In other words, God is not something that we can just sit down and comprehend. In fact, we'll never comprehend it in our entire lives. Therefore, something that is beyond understanding requires a lifetime of study. That's why we should all be forever students of God's word and never feeling like we have arrived. That's why in one of Paul's letters, he says, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have obtained it. But one thing I do, straining towards what is ahead and leaving the things behind me. It is so very important that if we are going to lead people, especially people of faith, We have several things that we deeply need to have convictions about and knowing God's word and carrying God's word should be something that we handle with the most delicate nature, with the most humble nature, because again, it is an honor to carry the gospel. It is an honor to do those things it's an honor to lead God's people but we cannot lead God's people once again where we have not yet been therefore we should be educating ourselves we should be filling ourselves with the word of God with the spirit of God and knowing why we believe what we believe the way I kind of look at it is theology starts with the why the why So 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love this scripture because it reminds Christians, Hey, you need to be prepared to explain why you believe what you believe. And frankly, I, I genuinely believe that a lot of leaders have this, this part down. Maybe, maybe not perfectly, but I, but I think we can all understand that I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of grace. And God the Father loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus down on the cross 
to die a death that I should have died and he died in my place and now I get to live in freedom. And that's, you know, just a really abbreviated way of explaining it. But but I think most Christian beliefs can come to that consensus. Now, of course, you're going to say, Kat, you know, different churches, different denominations practice different theology. Absolutely. You are right about that. You are so right about that. But we have to ask ourselves, why do I believe that? And, and, and do I actually believe that? Or is that something I've just always known to be true because that's what's been given to me and fed to me over the years that I have lived as a Christian? Again, I think we have the why, the crux of what Christianity is down. That Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We've got that. And that's something that's beautiful. That's the beautiful truth of grace. And that's where salvation comes from. Hallelujah. But now, theology, in my opinion, kind of answers the question of how. We understand the why. We understand that Jesus loves us. He died for us. He, his blood covers our sin. But now we have to ask the question of how. And it's important to recognize that you if you grew up in church or maybe you've been in church for a couple of months, odds are there is someone giving you some form of theology or maybe you've been studying multiple theology. Maybe you're in a place where you are deconstructing. You are trying to figure out what is it that I am choosing to believe and I encourage you to continue to study. I want to talk through this process of deconstruction and I want to I want to kind of I hate this word but regurgitate something that uh, my mentor says and I agree with him thoroughly on this. He says healthy deconstruction cannot happen without reconstruction. Man, that's good right there. Like we cannot pick apart theology, pick apart the bride of Christ just because we're angry and frustrated. Guess what? That's not deconstruction. That's, again, just being bitter and picking apart the church. That doesn't build up the body of Christ and it certainly doesn't build you up. And so in order for us to deconstruct and say, okay, I really just want to take off these, these filters, these glasses off so that I can see my faith. I can see the word of God for what it really means to me and how I've, how I can see it play out in my life, how I can best implement this in my walk with Christ. Um, one of my great friends, Sophia, she is brilliant. Um, she is literally one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Um, and that is the truth, but also operates in such grace. So you never feel stupid, even though I am much less intelligent. <laughs> See, I even didn't even use the correct grammar there, but she is very smart. And she actually taught me about this, this principle and it's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And it's something that I have found come up time and time again in my study of theology. And what this Wesleyan quadrilateral stands for is, this is also known as like the Methodist quadrilateral, but it's, it's kind of a way to shape theology or um, maybe I'll look at it this way different lenses that we have seen Christianity different lenses that we have seen the church and some of us have heard this expression before you see the world with rose-colored glasses right and that's typically what you say to a person who kind of sees the best in everything right and sometimes you love that and sometimes you're like no I want you to be miserable with me right they, they see everything with this lens and whether you realize it or not 
there's probably a lens that you see your faith through. So previously, when I've seen the Wesleyan quadrilateral, um, it's been shaped like a quadrilateral. But I've recently seen a new uh, image of the Wesleyan quadrilateral that isn't a quadrilateral at all. And you're like, Kat, if you say quadrilateral one more time, I'm going to throat punch you. But the way that this image is shaped is essentially kind of like circles. And basically, the whole circle exists within this lens of scripture. Because that's where theology should be founded. You would hope so, that you would utilize the book, the text, uh, to shape theology, to shape how you view Jesus, how you carry out your belief system. You would hope that it would come through scripture. And there are three other circles within that that are represented within this quadrilateral figure. And the first one is reason. And this makes sense to all of us, right? Because you are not going to believe something if it doesn't make sense, right? However, this can't necessarily be on the forefront of theology because there's a lot of things in the Bible, let's just be honest, that kind of exceed reason. It kind of exists outside of what makes sense to us, right? Like you've never seen a man walk on water. You've never seen a bunch of demons cast into a bunch of pigs. Like you probably haven't seen that. That doesn't scientifically line up. It doesn't uh, in physics, it probably doesn't fully line up. It doesn't make sense. But the deep down core meaning of the text does that make sense to you? Does that leap off of the page to you and translate well to you? Because if something, if you come to an understanding of something, man, you will, you will be able to not only believe it for yourself, but that helps translate when you share the gospel because you have an understanding of it. And then when people ask questions, you are then able to offer even more so of a reason of why you believe what you believe. Additionally, experience. Man, oh man, oh man, will experience change the way you see your theology? Because there are plenty of people Man, my experience, let me tell you, whoo, I grew up for the first couple of years of my life as a Catholic, not a good one. My parents always said we were bad Catholics and I still don't really know what that means, but hey, shout out to the bad Catholics. But we went from being in a Catholic church to immediately going to uh, an Assembly of God church. So you can imagine literally from like my my mom grew up in Catholic school, like 18 years Catholic school, like hanging out with the priest and, and the nuns, like to go from that to like laying on the floor and speaking in tongues. Like, I mean, it's just, it's crazy what a big shift that was and to see how our experiences, the things that we have gone through, how that has shaped our theology and how whatever you surround yourself with and, and whatever you're experiencing in life will shape what you believe. Sometimes when you surround yourself around a bunch of Christians, you will begin to believe a certain way that they believe because that's your experience. And then sometimes you'll get around people who are non-believers and they're like, well, have you ever seen it from this perspective? And then you go, wow, 
I need to get around non-believers more often so that I can kind of see it from a different perspective and, and understand. And you may say, Kat, you need to be around believers because they build you up. And that's absolutely true. But aren't we trying to reach non-believers and shouldn't we see things from their perspective? I'm not at all suggesting that we should uh, water down our beliefs to try to reach people. I'm not saying we should change our beliefs to reach people, but we should have an understanding of what other people believe. And unfortunately, we won't see that perspective unless we leave the experiences and, and maybe not leave, but not surround ourselves with the same kind kinds of people over and over and over again and wonder why we can't ever see anyone else's perspective. We wonder why we can't be as effective at reaching people for the gospel. Perhaps it's because we're very spiritually tunnel vision and God wants to expand our reach, expand our view, and we have to step out of our comfort zone in order to do so. And the last one, the last one is tradition. And that kind of plays into the one that I that I just shared with you how were you raised? You know, and, and this is something that, I, that I'm really even walking through right now is how was I raised? Man, again, I told you I went from being Catholic and then I went into an Assemblies of God church and that's primarily what I was raised in. And especially the early days of our church, we were very, very Pentecostal. And, you know, and I've primarily worked at Pentecostal churches. I've worked in a non-denom church, but for the most part, I've I've been around people who kind of grew up in the assemblies of God. And so that belief system has always kind of been around me at some point or another. And it's just very interesting to see how your beliefs continue on when your tradition, the thing that you've been around, the thing that you've been raised around, it's crazy how things can become so comfortable even if it's not a healthy thing. And I'm not at all here to say that I think that anything that I was raised in was, was unhealthy. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. But hear me, in the same way that I once lived in a house that was beautiful, it was incredible, I loved it, I had a great time there, but guess what? In the walls were mold. It was just mold all in the walls. And it wasn't until much later when there started to be health effects that you realized I've been surrounding myself in an area that's been comfortable, but the comfort has been disguising the thing that's been harming me. And sometimes when we we aren't quick to, to take off the veil for a second of what's comfortable and hear me, I understand that it's challenging and it's difficult if you've been raised a certain way, if you have been trained to read the Bible from a very spe specific perspective your entire life. It's difficult when someone starts to challenge those views and you're like, this feels wrong. It feels strange, but this can be a really healthy thing when we begin to really ask ourselves, do I, do I really believe that? And maybe right now you're pushing back and you're like, Kat, how could you say something like that? That's so crazy. Well, do you think that it's healthy that you currently believe something that if someone were to really dig deep, you may not have a rationale as to why you believe what you believe? Wouldn't it be better for the people of God to be completely convinced that 
This is why I believe what I believe. Not because someone told me, not because someone on a pulpit told me, or my grandmother prayed it over me 30 years ago, or because this person or my parents or or this person is around me now at the workplace. No, no, no. What do you believe? And I think we as leaders, we really have to begin to ask ourselves that question. And sometimes it does involve a series of deconstructing old school things that have been taught to us that maybe you really can't reconcile that in the scripture. And now it's time to reconstruct what you believe so that you can walk in the freedom and liberty that comes with knowing God's word and 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 believing it in your heart. Not just not just having this this orthodoxy of I know the scripture, I can quote it to you, but knowing it in your heart, practicing it in in how you express and how you feel and when you talk to people, it's going to change the game. And so removing those those lenses and leaning on those lenses and leaning on those crutches and really just asking yourself, what is it that I believe? Oh, yes, I understand the why. I understand that that Jesus is king, that he died for me. But what does it really look like to be a follower of his? What does it really look like to operate in the spirit? What does it really look like to identify the things of God? What does it look like to make disciples? What what do all of those things look like? Not for your grandma, not for your pastor, for you. And until we can answer that question, friends, I really believe we will we will have some hindrances in our lives. Now, understand I am that person that gets very frustrated. I'm just going to be very honest with you. I get very frustrated when people get in arguments over when the rapture is going to happen. Okay. The reason why the Bible clearly says no man knows the day or the hour. So why are you trying to know it? You know, and we're not going to know. So why are we arguing about it? There are things in scripture that some things we just have to understand. Hey, I'm not going to know, and I have to be content with that. The scripture talks about the mystery of God. And I've always been so just fixated on that, the mystery of God. Am I content with the mystery of God? That there are just certain things I'm not going to understand. And I say this not to sound cute, but reality. The more I study the word of God, the more I, I spend thousands of dollars to study God's word, to go deeper in his word, to go deeper in the study of who he is, truly the less I, I know. There are things that I'm convinced of that I know, the things that truly matter. But there there are so many things about God's word that just leave me speechless, that leave me saying, I don't know. And people come and ask me things and, I, and I'm, I've grown really confident in saying, I don't know. And I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm okay with the mystery of God. And what it does is it gives me a hunger to study more. It gives me a hunger to go deeper. Some people might look at the vast void of understanding God and go, that's too much. I want to walk away. But the closer you get to the heart of God and you see God is there. He is close to you. He loves you. He's with you. He's with me. That's all I need, right? But I want to know him more. And God invites me to the table to say, Here's more of me. 
here's more of me and he never runs out and he always has more to offer me and he is so loving y'all that even when we get it wrong we get it so wrong sometimes he still is like I see your heart I see that you love me. I see that you want to know more of me. I see that you want to express how much you love me in front of people. And you might have said the wrong thing. And you might have cracked your voice when you were talking about something because you knew you were wrong. But I love you. And and I love your heart. And someone said this on a, a podcast just recently. Forgive me. I, I listened to, I've started listening to a lot more podcasts recently. And so I'm, I can't remember who said this, but they said this statement. There's no such thing as perfect theology. That will take some weights off of people. And that will also make some people mad. Because there are so many people who are fully convinced that I am 100% right. And I need to tell you that in order to healthily deconstruct you need to be okay with saying, I know I'm not 100% right. I know that I don't know everything. We have to be humble enough to accept and understand, I've put in the work, I have studied the word of God, this is my interpretation. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm 100% right. And it certainly doesn't mean that because I've done this, that makes this other person wrong. Because now what we're doing is we're lording literally the word of God as a one-upper to other people. When the scripture commands us to be humble and loving and, and share the gospel as the good news of Christ, not I'm smarter than you, not I'm better than you. And so it's so important that as we're going through a deconstruction process, if that's something you choose to do where you say, I want to take the lenses off so that I can see the word of God, so that I can, I can understand God in a new way, we have to start with a humble mentality. We have to start there. And next, we, we have to ask ourselves, is this truly biblical? Is this truly biblical? Or is this an isolated scripture verse that sounds good to me that I can take out of context and manipulate to make it sound the way that I want it to sound? And I know you think that sounds harsh or you think that sounds crazy, but there are tons of people who have done that. There are cult leaders who have, can I tell you something? I'll just be honest with you. I've watched a lot of documentaries on cults. And can I tell you something? I'm not going to give you a specific percentage because I don't know and I don't want to misquote, but a large percentage of cults will base their beliefs on the Bible. That's right. Jim Jones did it. I did an episode on Jim Jones. Uh, you want to look at Charles Manson. You want to look at all of these different people who led cults of people to do evil things, utilized the word of God. They took text out of the holy word of God designed to breathe life and speak revelation into people's lives. And they took it and they misconstrued it and they manipulated people into doing evil things with the word of God. I use that as a point to say, it's not impossible for any of us to be able to do that as well. And there are even examples of thriving pastors today. I'm not naming names and I'm not even thinking of anyone specifically, but there are thriving pastors today who will do that, who have thousands and thousands and thousands of people and dollars uh, represented in their church and they are taking the scripture and manipulating it to keep people 
either feeling good or manipulate them into giving more money. And we must come to a place where we deconstruct and we stop utilizing the word of God as a manipulator to get the things that we want. And instead, we use the word of God as an open table to invite people to sit at God's feet. That is what the scripture is. It is not for personal gain. God is kind enough to bless us through our seeking of him with his presence and and even sometimes with with physical blessings but God's word is used to bring about his glory in our lives so let us use it accordingly and I also think that it's important that as we're deconstructing this is not a time once again to be hateful this is not a time to tear down the church There's a lot of things with uh, religious trauma that you'll see on the internet. I'm actually getting ready to write a 20-page paper on it. Shout out. So excited. Um, On this specific topic. And I can speak from someone who has walked through that. The temptation is, I'm hurt. I'm not dealing with it immediately. Therefore, I'm bitter. And so I'm operating out of bitterness. And when I get bitter... I'm looking for something to keep my wound open. I'm looking for something. I remember when I I left a church that had hurt me deeply. And I remember occasionally running into a person who also left this church. And this is going to sound crazy, but I'll just be transparent with you. When I would have conversations with these people and they might say something negative, it brought me more comfort than I could even tell you. And that sounds crazy, but if you've been in my shoes before, if you've been in those shoes before where you've been hurt by a church, you've been hurt by a pastor, and you don't deal with it, and you run from it, and you handle it incorrectly, you find joy and comfort in things that are not of God, like gossip, like operating in bitterness, And all it does is it tears the wound open a little bit more. And God doesn't desire that for you. God desires that we truly seek him. A verse that I love that proves the nature that God wants us to seek him out is Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God desires us to seek him. And the Bible also says those who earnestly seek him will find him. Well, why is God hiding? He's not hiding. We've just wandered off. And God's just standing there waiting on us to rediscover him. It's us that have, have wandered and, and maybe, maybe even explored and, and looked at all of these things. And, and God just wants us to come back to the truest form of just being with him. And you know what I think is beautiful? As messy as different theologies and different denominations can be, and trust me, they can be so messy. What's so beautiful about that is God loves you so much that he's willing to see past maybe some of the things that you believe and operate in that aren't correct. Because again, no such thing as perfect theology. 
God is so willing to see past those things because, again, he sees your heart that just wants to know him more, that just wants to discover him at a deeper level. So is it biblical? Are we really doing that? Are we, are we being intentional about not ripping wounds open? Are we, are we intentional about dealing with hurt before, maybe even before you go on this reconstruction, deconstruction, reconstruction journey? Are you dealing with past hurts that you've experienced in that area? You know, I never played sports ever. And for some reason, I always want to use sports illustrations. But I remember a friend of mine, Nikki, she tore her ACL in high school. Is it ACL? I hope so. I'm going to sound like an idiot of otherwise. Pretend like I said the right thing. But she she played, she was such an athlete. She played all of these sports and she tore her ACL. And her coach was like dying for her to come back on the team, but she couldn't because she was hurt. And many of you know, like if you tear your ACL, in many cases, it's like, oh no, you're not going to play again. But thankfully, she was able to get a surgery to get it repaired. And after some time, she was able to go back and play well again after her injury. But it would have been obviously foolish and next to impossible for her to try to go out there with a torn ACL. That's going to be bad. Either she's going to tear it even more or, yeah, like there's really no other option. Like she's going to make herself worse and so she wasn't able to go back out there until she was healed of her previous injury and I want to encourage you if you're considering going on a deconstruction journey journey you really need to handle past hurts please go see a counselor please have a conversation with someone you trust and respect in ministry that's going to help you so much because at the end of the day your deconstruction journey should be about jesus not spiting the people that hurt you previously because none of this is about the people at the end of the day if you expected those people not to hurt you come on what were you thinking (laughs) i know i've been in the same boat too And we believe that people aren't going to hurt us, but they do. But at the end of the day, your faith journey, your deconstruction, your reconstruction journey must always point back to Jesus. It always has to be about Jesus. Yes, people are going to be involved and it's a part of God's design. Can I tell you that? It's part of God's design that you have people involved in your life. But before we can go back out on the field and play the game, we must get the surgery before we go back out there so that we can have previous pains resolved so that nothing is hindering us, nothing is holding us back. And again, I just want to close with this simple thought, closing exactly the way that I opened. It is so important that if we're going to deconstruct If we're going to take lenses off that we've walked in, walked with for years and years and years, we have to be sure that we are replenishing ourselves and reconstructing the things in our heart that God desires us to walk in. And so maybe you make a decision, hey, I used to believe this, but now I, I really don't think I believe that anymore. Well, now you ask yourself the question, what is it that you do believe? What is it that God's word says that you do believe now? And refilling yourself with that in the same way that anything you pour from, a pitcher, a glass of water, eventually is going to run out of liquid if you're pouring out of it. 
And so if you make the decision, I'm dumping all the water out of this pitcher. I'm dumping all the lemonade, the iced coffee, whatever it is. I'm dumping all of it out of here. What are you going to fill it with? Because an empty container is a shame because it was designed to be filled in the same way you were designed to be filled. You were designed to be a carrier of God's presence, God's word, filled with God's love to pour that out onto people. So as you're taking things off, wonderful. But now what are you going to fill yourself with once again so that you will always have an answer ready for when people ask you why you believe what you believe. You're going to be a more devoted follower because you choose to say, I know that I know that I know that God's word is true. This is what it says. And this is what I believe. Friends, I encourage you, if you're deconstructing this week, ask yourself, what am I filling myself with? Am I basing what I believe on God's word or just my opinions or just my hurts. Let's not do that. And once again, let's make sure that we are walking through healing before we try to do anything else because God desires that you would walk free, that you would walk healed and with no hindrances so that you can run your race well. Man, I'm so glad that you listened to this whole episode. I know this one was a little lengthy, but I appreciate you going on this journey with me as we are just fixing our eyes on Jesus and believing that the best days are ahead. You are incredible. Thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself as a leader. May God bless you this week. You're incredible. As always, I'm Kat Robbins, and thank you for listening to the Ministry Refuel Podcast.